Welcome to Fine Tuning with Drew Taylor, your one-stop shop when it comes to animation news and commentary. I'm Drew's co-host, entertainment writer Jim Hill, and he and I are recording this week's show on Thursday, October 7th, 2021. This week's episode should be posted on Tuesday, October 12th, day after Columbus Day, or if you'd prefer, Indigenous People Day. Do we have a preference, Drew? I think Indigenous People's Day sounds a lot better than Columbus Day. Although Columbus has some good movies. I rewatched 1492 Conquest for Paradise, the Ridley Scott movie. Very maligned, oh. you know, in its day, but it has some really interesting elements. So I would I would mm, look at that. Okay. Yeah. What was the other one? Remember there was another Columbus movie that came out around the same time? Was that the one with Tom Selleck is like King of Spain? Yeah, or? what is I feel like that was, was it Christopher Reeve who played Columbus? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, again, it was it was one of those moments where it's like, yes, you know, you have the two com- competing projects going after the one tiny audience segment that will actually be okay. interested in. All right, it was George so. Coraface as Christopher Columbus, hmm. and you're right, Tom Selleck okay. as King Ferdinand V. Uh, obvious casting there, and yeah, a lot of the same people that produced the Superman movie. That's where I'm getting the Christopher Reeve crossover, but that was Christopher Columbus, the discovery. And the premiere took place at the same time as 1492 conquest of paradise. So the family that made the Superman movies, and I love how they went from Superman to, they made Santa Claus, the movie. And now when I connect Superman to Santa Claus, the first person I immediately think of after that is Columbus. Right. Well, apparently it was it was such a the movie was so hard to make that one of the brothers said, "I know after this I'll never make movies again." So there you go. <laughs> wow! Yeah. Hooray for Hollywood! Okay, <laughs> wow. Well, speaking of significant things that, that happen on or about this date, we are just when the show posts, it'll be a day after Jodie Benson's 60th birthday. Uh, Little Mermaid just got a little older. She's 60, and it's really hard to believe that that animated feature, which some people say kicked off the, the second golden age of Disney animation, I would argue Great Mouse Detective really did that. What's your take that. on that, Drew? Yeah, I, I agree. Okay. I love Great Mouse Detective. Did you see that there's a new ornament that the shop Disney is selling? I was about to say Disney Store, but we know that's not a thing anymore. Well, there's supposedly 25 of them left hanging on by their their fingernails, but yeah, none none of them around here. (laughs) But hard to believe The Little Mermaid, the movie, will be 32 years old this November. Equally hard to believe that Disney's live-action redo of The Little Mermaid, uh, the one that's being directed by Rob Marshall, now won't arrive in theaters till May of 2023? Yeah, but those animated uh, to live-action adaptations always take a, take a long time to do, so I'm, I'm not too worried. Well, the rehearsals were underway last year, February 2020, pandemic hits. They halt production. They don't pick up again till January of this year, and they only just wrapped production back in Ju- on July 10th of this year. And originally supposed to arrive in theaters in 2022, this thing got announced back in May of 2016, and they weren't all that far down the live-action redo road at that point. We Cinderella had only just come out in theaters March of 2015. You got to talk to Sean Bailey about these things. Did he talk about the lengthy turnaround process from doing one of these animated things, turning them into a live-action? Right. 
I don't know if we talked about how long it took, but this was around the time of Beauty and the Beast, and uh, so there was a lot of excitement around that that prospect of remaking the animated movies. But I also wonder if this project got new life after Mary Poppins Returns and Moana and uh, mm-hmm. Disney kind of buying into Lin-Manuel in a big way because he is obviously doing the new songs for uh, this live-action Little Mermaid, which I'm very that excited about that aspect of it. Also, to be honest, I'm looking forward to uh, Melissa McCarthy doing Ursula. That seems like a great fit. Yes. Just hope she delivers the goods. If I so. see her in the neighborhood, Jim, I will... I will stop her and ask her. Well, I, good, I see her husband good, driving good around to in hear. his golf cart a lot. So yeah, I will. Uh, I will. I will keep my eyes open for her. <laughs> you lead such an interesting life. Okay, <laughs> I never get people in golf carts driving by. Raccoons on the porch, yes, but uh, another story. By the way, this is not the only film with a pushback release date, which we'll get to in a moment. But first. The news portion of today's fine-tuning is brought to you by Storybook Destinations, trusted travel partner of the Jim Hill Media Podcast Network. For a worry-free travel experience, please book online at storybookdestinations.com. On last week's show, we were just talking about how we still didn't have a release date for the fourth and final film in the Hotel Transylvania franchise, Transformania. Back in August of this year, Forbes reported that Amazon Prime Video spent $100 million to acquire the Sony Picture Animation production. And the assumption had been, Drew, right, that Amazon Prime Video is acquiring Hotel Transylvania 4 to be part of their October Halloween programming block. Yeah, that was the assumption. It's strange that now we do have a release date, and it's January 14th. Of next year. And at that time, it'll be released on Amazon Prime Video in 240 countries and territories. If we're going by the conventional show business rules, films, when they were theatrically released, if they got dropped in January, it used to be that this was a project that maybe the studio didn't have all that much confidence in. But those rules don't apply to streaming, right? Or... Well, I don't know. I don't know what the thinking is because I would think that you would want to hit while families are home for the holidays. Mm-hmm. You know, time off and everybody's at home. They're you know, they're all around the same TV. You want to kind of get that, but the January release date doesn't make a whole lot of sense. It's also very weird because you know, last week we talked about how at one point this was a Christmas uh, themed movie. Mm-hmm. So yeah. to kind of go away from that Christmas theme and then kind of be back in the same window is very weird. I have a I have a conspiracy theory, Jim. Okay. That I think that they might try to get Sandler and mm-hmm. Kevin James back in that peer in the period between now and January to re-record the dialogue. Ooh. That's my that's my little inkling. But I have no I have nothing to, to back this up. So who knows? Think about what extra gas that put in the tank with Aladdin and the King of Thieves back in the right. day. When they got they got Williams to come back in and it wasn't Hagazaria, was it? Who it was, was Dan it? Castellaneta. Um, there yeah. we go. All right, you know, they're, they're replacing everything that Dan had done. Um that's interesting. Yeah. Wow. This is animation, Jim. You can change a lot in a little amount of time, you know, so this is very true. Okay, that would be interesting. Let's circle back on that. All right, speaking of another film who's had their release date bounced around quite a bit, Ron's Gone Wrong. This Locksmith animation film, which was announced uh, originally back in October of 2017, 
was supposed to be released to theaters through 20th Century Fox in November of last year. Then, of course, in November 2019, after Disney acquires certain film assets and stuff from Fox, Ron's Gone Wrong's release date gets pushed to February 26, 2021. Then the pandemic happens, so Disney decides May 2020 to push Ron Gone's Wrong all the way to April 23rd of this year. Then the Delta variant <laughs> happens, which spooks a lot of people in Hollywood. So as a direct result, on January 21st of this year, Disney pushes Ron's Gone Wrong back to the release date we have now, which is October 22nd, 2021. That release date has held. Ron's Gone Wrong is supposed to have its world premiere at the BFI London Film Festival later this week, on uh, Saturday the 9th to be exact. And we've got a stateside premiere set for October 22nd, and 45 days after that, it's available on digital platforms. Now, you've seen this at this point? Yes. Uh, so I can talk okay. about it, because this show will be out after the embargo break. So I have actually seen Ron's Gone Wrong. And? It's very charming. Mm-hmm. You know, the character design is great. The animation mm-hmm. by Dineg, this is their first feature-length animated mm-hmm. film, is is wonderful. The story is a little bit more wobbly, and I feel bad mm-hmm. because of all these delays. A lot of it kind of feels a little bit old hat. I mean, as the second animated feature about technology run amok in 2021, um, you know? That's true. Um, Mitchell's versus the machines. Yeah, and, and after a movie yeah. as good as Mitchell's versus the machines, too, and, and as genuinely mm-hmm. new feeling as Mitchell's versus the machines, you know, it feels mm-hmm. a little old. I, I, also, you know, um, the kid, Dylan Grazer, who plays the kid Barney in this movie, it has also mm-hmm. is also Alberto and Luca. So not only that, but Jack Dylan no. Grazer has oh. been in another, oh. you know, mismatched non-human buddy movie in 2021, you know? So it's just, wow. that that also gives that. it a little bit of the kind of like, oh, this is like, mm-hmm. it's been left in the freezer a little too long. Um, it, you know what I mean? Uh, I'm, but, I'm sorry to hear that. I'm such a fan of, of Sarah Smith's work. I mean, she she directed this with Jean-Philip Vine along uh, with Octavius Rodriguez, and uh, she also co-wrote the screenplay, right? Yeah, and she was actually not originally going to direct. She was just going to write the screenplay. Mm-hmm. Alessandro uh, Carloni, who we know from the Kung Fu Panda films, was initially mm-hmm. set to co-direct with uh, Jean Philippe and he left the project. She got bumped up to director and uh, the rest is history. But, you know, I, I also really think she's a wonderful talent and helped shape so many of those Ardman movies during that period. Oh, yeah. Um, so yeah, I, okay. I'm still excited about what locksmith has up its sleeve, but and from this point forward, they're they're doing animation for Warner's, right? Yeah, I th- I believe so. Okay. You know, this is this is a company funded by Elizabeth Murdoch. Um, so maybe maybe the Murdoch family isn't completely evil. Uh, maybe she, maybe Elizabeth <laughs> is the is the good one. But yeah, the next movie is called That Christmas. It doesn't have a release date yet, but it's for Warner Animation Group. With the animation, once again, provided by Dineg, which I love, obviously. Um, but, yeah. Uh, apparently, Natalie Fisher, who was the former CEO of Illumination, is stepping in to 
co-run this war this uh, outfit, and Sarah Smith will actually be leaving, uh, which is sort of sad. But this kind mm-hmm. of thing happens. Okay. She's going to pursue her own creative endeavors, as the press release states. So there you go. Honestly, these days, it, that that's one of the challenges of doing a show like Fine Tuning is just keeping tabs on who used to work where and who's working where now. I mean, for example, you pointed out that just in the past week we had the announcement about Mark Andrews. Uh, they used the gentleman who directed Pixar's June 2012 release, Brave, with he was the co-director with Brenda Chapman, right? Well, or, or he was. It, I don't know. I yeah, think he I, stepped in after Brenda was let go. I think that there we yeah. go. Okay, yeah, <laughs> not to not to put too fine a point on it, Jim. <laughs> So Mark uh, has teamed up with his former colleague from from that Emeryville operation, uh, Andrew Gordon. Andrew wore a lot of hats at Pixar. He was head of promotional content. He was the lead of the intern program, in addition to being a directing animator and a supervising animator. So he's kind of the guy you want to have on board if you're getting a new animation operation up out of the ground. But anyway, you, you pointed out Andrews and Gordon are teaming up with Israeli producer Oded uh, Turgman, to produce an animated fantasy drama for Fox called Hawkmaster. Do you want to share the logline for this? I'll try to get through this logline. It's a little it's a little Dungeons and Dragons here, but okay. Hawkmaster okay. is set in a fantasy world where knights ride against birds of prey and Kess, a young woman who has always dreamed of flying, encounters a mysterious hawk without its rider and soon finds herself caught up in a dangerous plot to kill the queen. With the help of the Four Winds, Renegade Knights banished from the kingdom, Kess will discover what it means to be a knight and trust your winged companion with your life. You know, that old story. Well, you know, now, but it's, it's funny you say old story because what this logline makes me think of is, have you ever heard of the Project War Eagles? Uh, Miriam C. Cooper, the guy who produces, uh, or produced the original King Kong back in 33, he wanted to do another project that featured, you know, lots of stop motion so he could work with Willis O'Brien again. Storyline of War Eagles goes like this. Tale is set in the years just before the start of World War II. Uh, an Army Air Corps test pilot, while he's traveling pole to pole while flying in an air experiment, experimental plane, crash lands on an unchartered island just above the Arctic Circle. Here, the pilot discovers a strange land inhabited by dinosaurs, were a lost tribe of Norsemen ride giant eagles. Wait, it gets crazier? The pilot then hears over the wireless, which is the only thing that is still working and is now wrecked airplane, that the Nazis are about to launch an attack on New York City. They've sent a fleet of zeppelins across the Atlantic that are armed with this powerful electromagnetic weapon, which means that all metallic things, planes, ships, cannons, are useless to stop the Nazi Zeppelin fleet. <laughs> the only way to save New York City? This pilot has to persuade the giant eel-riding Vikings to first fly down from the Arctic Circle to New York City and then attack those Zeppelins. And as crazy as that sound, Cooper and Willis actually did animation tests. They built the animation rigs for a couple of the War Eagles. They prepped all sorts of storyboards and did concept film and... They came with, Archeo came within inches of actually putting this thing in production in 1940 and then got cold feet. And so everything that was done got put in the vault. In fact, who was it? 
who was telling this story. It was a kid actor who was working on... Remember how RKO actually got bought by Desi Arnaz and Lucy? Yes. Uh, and it became, you know, Desi Lufer. So, oh, damn it. I'm, I'm blanking the name of the kid actor, but it's literally he's wandered off to the set into like a storage facility on, on the lot and finds this box where it's like he pulls the box out and it's like the King Kong armature and it's one of the dinosaurs and supposedly one of the war eagles is sitting there in the box. And he gets called back to the set and never goes back. But Ray Harryhausen has spent the last 30 years trying to persuade various studios around town to revive Cooper and O'Brien's dream project. And there's a book about the project, uh, War Eagles, The Unmaking of an Epic, that came out in January 2011 from Bear Manor Media. So, Hawkmaster, War Eagles, I'm just happy to see this idea in some form sort of show up on the screen. And if yeah, who knows, if Hawkmaster works, maybe someone will take a flyer on, on, on War Eagles. On the other hand, I, I think we all remember Sky Captain and the World of Tomorrow, which also did kind of the Attack on New York thing, um, and that really didn't work. Yeah. But on the other hand, again, that was a theatrical release, and maybe this would connect with an audience if it, it were on a streaming service. All right, uh, switching now to television news. I know, given what a huge Gravity Falls fan you are, you have to have been happy with what happened on The Simpsons this past weekend. Yeah, I could not. I could not believe that it that it actually happened. Um, it's the one time that this kind of Disney corporate synergy thing has really paid off in our favor, Jim. Can you tell people what happened? I mean, and, and again, this is the episode called "Bart's in Jail." Yeah, there, well, there was a kind of Loki esque character, and at one point they kind of pan around the room of these mythic creatures and there is mm -hmm. bill cypher from gravity falls and <laughs> alex hirsch is voicing bill cypher and he has one line which is by mm -hmm. crypto suckers but it was just amazing and and you saw alex's tweet right i did i did I, I, we, do you want to share it or so he said from ages 8 to 18 i didn't miss a single simpsons premiere i read the guide till the pages fell out knew the writers of each episode and could tell you the season by the size of the character's pupils <laughs> i am in total disbelief that i just did a cameo on the show and i i sympathize with him i was that big of a nut as well back in the day hmm. so um yeah, yeah it's pretty Can amazing I... it is it is now to pin the needle in the other direction, I mean, Alex also uh, has ties to Disney's Owl House. Yes, both personal and professional, since he is dating this the creator, is true. right? And, and speaking of, of which, did you see what Dana Terrace, the, the creator of this Disney Channel series, it, what she said on Twitter earlier this week about why that production of that show is suddenly winding down? Uh, I didn't. I saw some save... The Owl House uh, hashtags, but I did not see her tweet. You want to read what she said? What Dana basically said is that she heard third hand. I mean, this is the part of the problem is that she never got to plead her case uh, about the show. But she third, heard third hand that a Disney Channel executive had decided that Owl House really didn't fit the Disney brand. Now, she did go on to say that 
due to some of the, the LGBT character on the show, we did have some issues airing in a few countries and we just straight up banned in a few more. I, I'm, but, you know, I'm not going to assume bad faith against the people I work with in L.A., but it's worth noting the Owl House production team was told to tighten its belt in regard to the budget in the middle of the COVID-19 pandemic, which makes sense. But the other thing that, frankly, Dana shared was that Disney just wanted to be done with the Owl House. And this was the, the sort of perfect storm of the pandemic and, and that sort of thing gave them the chance to do this. And so we're not really getting a third season. We're getting specials, right? Yeah. Sort of standalone episodes. Yeah, I, I did pick yeah. up on that through through mm. the Twitter talk. But um, yeah, that is really weird. It is. And in fact, Dana goes on to say, even getting the Consolation season three episodes was difficult, apparently. Hard to say, because I wasn't allowed to be part of any conversations until I was just told uh, wasn't even allowed to present my case. Uh, you know, and then she goes on to say sar- sarcastically, love the transparency and openness here, but that breaks my heart. It's a great show. Yeah, it seems like some weird programming decisions are going on over there um, in regards to, here's our favorite phrase, Jim, Disney branded television between the weird mm. pulling the amphibia finale, but not really pulling mm. it from other places. And, you know, all that kind of stuff, it just seems... It seems just odd, and I I can't believe that the channel that used to back such gutsy programs like Gravity Falls or, you know, even things like Wander Over Yonder just a few years ago is now being so conservative. Mm. Um, It's just, it's very disappointing. It is, it is, and I cannot help but connect the dots. You saw the story in the trades earlier this week about it starts off with the story of the Disney summit, so to speak, that was held at Alani mm-hmm. and how Bob Iger is sort of his hail and farewell, you know, speaking to the board about Disney shouldn't be a company that's driven just by numbers. It should take big creative swings. It should take chances. And which a lot of folks saw is Iger criticizing his successor, Bob Chapek, who is very much a numbers guy. So, yeah, I don't think I don't think we would have gotten, especially what I know about the uh, ballooning budgets of the later episodes of Gravity Falls. We would probably never have uh, gotten Gravity Falls under the JPEG regime. So I think we should just maybe be <laughs> thankful of that. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay. Well, speaking of things we should be thankful for, we are uh, a happier bitter news. We're getting a new Peanuts holiday special entitled "For Old Anxiety," which will come to Apple TV on December tenth. This Apple original is produced in partnership with Wild Brain. Also, kind of nice news that Apple and PBS are teaming up to offer classic peanut special. It's The Great Pumpkin, Charlie Brown, a Charlie Brown thir- uh, Thanksgiving, and a Charlie Brown Christmas. They are going to be airing ad-free on PBS and PBS Kids. And it's just sort of like, wow, it's, this is not the Apple company that I know. <laughs> Though, uh, speaking of uh, Apple TV+, Plus, did you actually get to see Blush, the Joe Mateo yes. thing? And yeah, yeah, I, I, I thought it was really great. I have not seen this yet. I've actually spent the better part of the last week cleaning out my basement, which <laughs> Drew just sent me a, a letter earlier this week, a week to the effect of, don't throw out treasures. Yes. 
I hope you have a pile for me going at, well, in, in some corner of the house. Speaking of which, I know your love of things that were never built. I actually found the front page stories from the uh, Long Beach Telegraph, I believe, for uh, Disney Seas. So yes. Yes, put those aside. All right, you know, but let's get back to to blush now, which I didn't get to see it, but did do some research on it. So this is a, a love letter for uh, Joe Matteo, the, the the gentleman who animated or directed the short. It's a love letter to his late wife, Marianne. Is there a dedication or anything? Like there that? is. There's a photo of her at the end. And yeah, I mean, it, it really makes the whole short that much more poignant. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a heartbreaking story if you want to tell it. I mean, you, you I did not know this, so I, I feel like you can speak to this better. But Okay, well, the story, as I understand it, is that the, the Marianne and Joe meet when he's studying fine art at the University of Santo Tomas in the Philippines. And he goes on to say, our first week of college, I, I just heard this laughter that was filling up the room. I said hi, and as soon as I introduced myself, Marianne turned and, and blushed. And so the couple starts their life together in the Philippines, eventually uh, immigrates to the States, and they wind up working at Disney. And I think you mentioned on an earlier show about Joe actually won an Emmy for as a storyboard artist on the wonderful uh, Prep and Landing Holiday special. And he then spends 25 years working at Disney, where he's, he works on films like Pocahontas, Mulan, and Big Hero 6, before he finally heads over to Skydance Animation and blushes his very first writer-director project. Joe and Marianne have, have two kids, and, and then his wife becomes gravely ill, and six months after Marianne passes, Joe begins writing Blush, and... There's supposedly a scene in the film that's based on his own experience about he was grieving and was gasping for air and realized that his late wife, Marianne, was basically the air that he breathed. He goes on to say, I remember struggling to go back to work, and so I just might as well do something with all this. And then I started thinking about it, and what stood out to me was struggling to breathe. I don't know what was happening to me when it happened. I ended up telling basically our whole story, our whole love story. So in closing, he goes on to say it, it was already a dream come true to, to make this love letter to my wife, but for it to be seen globally on Apple TV Plus is sometimes I have to pinch myself. So anything particularly stand out or just it? it yeah, just- I mean, the the design is really, really wonderful. The kind of like, you know, it's about a, a astronaut that that crash lands on a planet. And then he encounters this uh, alien um, and they fall in love. But yeah, just the kind of visualization of the planet. I think you'll really get a kick out of Jim. It seems really fun and new and the animation is just beautiful. And, you know, I was a little bit like, oh, another love story from John Lasseter, who famously Pixar made a lot, a lot of love story shorts uh, back in the day. But, uh, you know, getting that personal connection is really, really something. And uh, I think you'll like it a lot. I thought it was, I thought it was very charming and, and All right. uh, I, I emotional. will definitely go and check that out. I, I yeah, will. Before, before you watch the next Ted, before you watch the Ted Lasso finale, <laughs> yeah, just throw this on for 10 minutes. <laughs> okay. I, I will. I will. It's uh, just a, a quick side note here though. I remember getting the chance to interview John Lasseter at the very first D23, which which tells you how long this project was in the works. But they were talking about the Toy Story sequel 
that was going to be the love letter to his wife, Nancy, you know, that that was supposedly what the whole conceit behind Toy Story 4 was, the, the woman who made the great life possible. Yeah, they, they did do a lot of love stories. I feel like this show is a love letter to your wife, Nancy, <laughs> Jim. So I feel like it all... All great things come from Nancy. Yes. You yes, know, that, that yes. underlined circle and indent that, folks. Yes. Of course, there are some good things that come from our sponsors, which you, know, you have to listen to these things for a few minutes. But Drew and I will be right back. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Okay, we were talking about television animation and... I realize we should probably be talking about this on Marvelous Disney, but it's it's animated and it just ended. And I really feel like, you know, Drew and I need to talk about Marvel What If, which I loved that last episode. What did you think? Yeah. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Well, I mean, the reason I wanted to talk about it on the show is I think that this proved that animation maybe can do Marvel Studios stuff uh, a little bit better than the live action just because it's able to give that kind of scale and that scope uh, mm-hmm. in a way that live action cannot, if <laughs> if shows like the, the Falcon and Winter Soldier are any indication. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I thought this season was pretty amazing start to finish. I mean, there were a couple of so-so episodes in there, but the way that it, they brought everything together in these last couple of episodes was really, really something. And I was just, I was amazed. I thought it was a, Terrific, terrific show. Oh, yeah. no, 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 absolutely. And, and we should take a few moments here to single out A.C. Bradley, the talented creator of the show. And, and the interesting thing is, given that, you know, we talked with the, the guys behind the, the Troll Hunters movie a while back. I mean, she's known for her work on Troll Hunters Tales of Arcadia and Three Below Tales of, of Arcadia. And likewise, Brian D. Adams, the, the storyboard artist and, and gentleman who, d- who directed the shows, who worked on Star Wars Clone Wars and Samurai Jack, and not to mention actually working, you, you talked about, you know, the uh, Marvel Studios, the live action stuff. He worked on the live action Doctor Strange and, and Endgame. So, you know, these are two people who 
who really stepped it up. And, and did you see the Hollywood Reporter who did the interview with the two of them after the show? And they were talking about how Kevin Feige would literally tell them, you can use these, but not these. You know, the, the, right. Here are the toys you can play with, but these are mine. You know, and maybe next season you can get to use these characters. And, and well, and, you know, as I was watching it, I was thinking, wow, this would have been a great avengers type movie yeah. you know in 10 years or something the guardians of the multiverse there is you what go. they are called there you go. yeah though um, I, the other thing that was fascinating about this article in the trades is they talked about how they so enjoyed working on that if t'challa had been star lord episode that they actually began sussing out a spinoff of what if that would have put you with that crew and had them do all sorts of adventures. And I guess they got Chadwick in early to record that episode. And then, you know, they just talked about how the other pickup stuff that, you know, the other moments with Chadwick that you saw scattered throughout the rest of the series, they recorded that with him like a month before we lost him. Uh, yeah, and everybody loved the idea of pursuing T'Challa's Star-Lord idea, but for now it seems kind of disrespectful with Chadwick gone to continue that, but it, it's, they, they talk about maybe some point in the future we'll circle back to that idea. But speaking of, of season two, that teeny tiny little snippet of <laughs> Tony Stark and Gamora in fact, I, I love that moment with uh, the Watcher where he shows up in the scene and, and Stark starts to give him lip and it's like, not you, Stark, I'm here for Gamora. You know, right. that that was supposedly pulled from the one episode that due to the pandemic, they couldn't complete in time for season one. So that show's actually been bumped for uh, to season two. So that's going to be a full episode next season? But the thing was, they had actually done this lighthearted episode with Tony Stark because they said, you know, they were following the comments about the show on Twitter. And it was like, they made the joke to the effect of Tony Stark had basically become the Kenny of what if, that they were, you know, they were repeatedly killing Stark in the show. And it's like, all right, let's let, let's do one where at least he lives all the way through the episode. So, so that's coming. Yeah, so we can look forward to that in season two, but I'm, I'm sure they, they will continue to kill him on other shows. Did you have a, a favorite episode or a favorite moment out of you know this first season? Or well, I actually really love the party Thor episode, which I know some people are a little mixed on, but mm -hmm. I thought it was so great at the end of that episode where the Watcher is like, and then they lived happily ever after. Oh wait, and that's when you know Vision slash Ultron sort of mm -hmm. makes this big debut. And then the fact that the, that storyline carries over the next couple mm -hmm. of episodes, I thought was really, really smart and really inventive. And I just lo I loved how the this finale brought everything together from the zombies to, you know, everything. I, mm -hmm. I just was really I was really impressed and I love the art style. I love that kind of, you know, the cell shading with the the tr sort of traditional animated flourishes mm -hmm. and effects I thought was so cool. Did you were you a fan of that? I very much so. In fact, we, we should make a point of pointing out the head of visual development for Marvel Studios, Ryan Madrilingen. He's the guy who helped sort of define that cell shaded animation style that managed I I think what was fascinating was to bring the actual actors from the MCU into the animated world in in a way that you bought. 
Right. But at the same time, we should also pay tribute to Stefan Frank, the, the head of animation. Likewise, how many studios worked in this? The Spirit, Squeeze, Flying Bark, and Stellar Creative Lab? I mean, a lot of people worked really hard on this, especially during the pandemic. And the fact that it was this good under those conditions uh, is really kind of stunning. Yeah, it was amazing. It was so it, it was so great. I'm I'm just so impressed with this. Okay. And as we were as we were recording, Jim, mm-hmm. they just announced get ready for your next um episode of uh Marvelous Disney because they just announced a Agatha spin-off series. Oh for, no. Uh, yes, uh, starring starring Katherine Hahn, the whole creative team is going to be back. Holy so, cow. Oh. it really was Agatha all along, Jim, and she will be going oh. along for another season on her own. So, get ready for that. Okay. So, now again, pinning the needle in the other direction. I know from from our own conversations and some of the stuff you posted on social media, you were you weren't necessarily there, but you were paying attention to what was going on at Walt Disney World with the 50th anniversary celebration. Yes, I was watching as kites were. <laughs> Torpedoing out of the sky, <laughs> running at innocent innocent guests and trees alike. Um, yeah. yeah, yes, it's 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 an interesting bunch of offerings, and uh, in fact, Mr. Test and I will be down in Orlando in two weeks or thereabouts, recording a bunch of new walkarounds of the parks, and I'm hoping to check out some of this stuff in person because it's like I felt so bad for the folks who put together the live streams of Harmonious and enchantment because i don't i really don't think these shows work as you know youtube videos especially youtube video where you sort of plant a camera halfway mm. down main street or yeah it was it, it was interesting hearing J- uh len talk about the uh explosions that were going off in each country because they didn't pan around and you know you and i were kind of just chatting off air and i always loved the incorporation of the different uh world showcase pavilions Mm -hmm. and so it was good to hear that they actually do incorporate them that it just wasn't in the live stream but Mm. i have a request for your walk around with len jim can you get him into the main street barbershop (laughs) is that something we can do We or at least hold get, him down. At least I, give I, me a, a pen of his the backside of Lynn's hair. I guess I, is that's the consolation. That that it is. I'm beginning to wonder if we we're kind of in one of those Samson and Delilah situations. I think Lynn at this point is convinced that his strength comes from his hair, like the like the the baseball player that wears the same pair of shoe, of socks for every winning game. That there we go. There yeah. we go. So well, at least we hope Lynn's hair smells better than the socks. But yes, to be honest, it's not that much of a step down from Walt Disney World's 50th anniversary. To you were talking about. The Mickey's 60th birthday uh, TV special that ran on NBC back in November of 1988. And yeah. you were a big fan of this because of the interaction from Roger Rabbit and or between interaction between Roger Rabbit and, and Mickey Mouse, right? Yeah, I would love to know if if feature animation actually did this animation, but it's a really interesting special because Mickey is presented as a, uh, you know, he's a character in the special. It's not like the the 90th one where they had Dwayne Johnson come out and talk about Steamboat Willie or whatever. Mm-hmm. It, you know, he's an actual presence in the mm-hmm. show. Yeah, yeah. And 
I love I, I love his uh, 60th anniversary look. Obviously, he looks mm. like he just stepped off the set of Miami Vice. It's very cool. Um, <laughs> well, no, no. Yeah. Speaking of which, though, Mickey wanders into the bar from Cheers. I want to yep. say Donald, who is believed to be involved in Mickey's mysterious disappearance, winds up hiring the lawyers from L.A. Law to represent him against Disney Studios. And yes, you mentioned that it's brand new animation done of, of both Mickey and Roger. And first of all, you have to remember, folks, Roger Rabbit had only just come out in theaters in uh, June 22nd of 1988. So here's this special that airs on November 13th of that same year. And there's a special called Roger Rabbit and the Secret of Toontown. It's it's hosted by Joanna Cassidy, the woman who played Dolores in, in that Robert Zemeckis movie. But all of the footage in that thing is recycled stuff from the actual film. Yeah. They would do things like they'd run footage backwards so it looks slightly different than what you saw in the theaters. But the notion is just two months later, they were able to get something out the door that featured all new Roger footage and all new Mickey footage. I believe there was there was original Roger animation, too, for a uh, series of Diet Coke commercials as this well. This is true. Is that, right? This is true. Yes, yeah. yes. And in fact, that that's one of the you know famous thing, uh, you know, reasons that Jeffrey Katzenberg basically threatened Don Hahn's career, you know, to the effect of, we've signed a giant deal with Diet Coke. You will make this June release date. In fact, he, I think he gestured out the window to the guys in New York who were putting asphalt on the streets. And it's like, oh, you're going to end up doing that. But yeah, it's it's an interesting special, though. If I have to pick a favorite of the Disney specials that ran in, in the late 80s, have you ever seen Sports Goofy in Soccer Mania? Yes. And in fact, there was somebody I was talking to recently mm-hmm. who I said, you worked on Sports Goofy and Soccer Mania. And they went, mm-hmm. oh, yeah, I did. Uh, <laughs> because I am fascinated about this this project. And you want to you want to talk about why it's so interesting? Well, first of all, you got to remember that Roger Rabbit, before Steven Spielberg wound up as the producer and Robert Zemeckis wound up as the director, it was in development for two years, three years at the least, as a Disney-only production. The, the final film was, uh, what was it, Touchstone and Amblin. But during that time, Daryl Van Sitters was the director. And eventually, when Isaac comes through the door, in order to get the proper version of Roger Rabbit done, he takes the project away from Daryl. And again, it's Spielberg is producing and Zemeckis is directing. But he's done all of this work on that version of Roger Rabbit, the, the one that was going to be voiced by Paul Rubens, right? Uh, Pee Wee Herman. Yeah, that that design, too, is amazing. You can find an episode of, I think it's Backstage Disney, right? Where they like, yes. kind of talk through yes. the production. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you can see this footage, and it is amazing. I love that design so much. I'm not. I don't know if I love it quite as much as what they ended up with, but it mm-hmm. is an amazing design. So I'm glad that they did something with it, right? They did. They did. Which brings us to the reason why you have to seek out Sports Goofy and Soccer Mania. So I want to say it's like in the last ten to fifteen minutes is actually the the soccer game, you know, the, the finale of the thing. And it's like, so you, what you want to do is you want to watch this and pay very close attention to the crowd scenes. Cause there is one, when they cut away to the crowd, 
where clearly dead center for just a few seconds in the crowd is Daryl's version of Roger Rabbit. You mentioned the Disney backstage special. At, at, at one point, I mean, they show the animation test that had been done with Roger. And at one point, don't they have Roger actually walk through the room? I believe so. You also get to see that animated cop character. That's right. That's um, right. Yeah. And also the uh, the Rusty Taylor version of Jessica Rabbit, which Good. is really interesting. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, and the actor who voices Henry in the Country Bear Jamboree is the live action actor in those scenes. Oh, uh, Peter Renaday. There we go. There we go. Yeah. Our, see, this is why I do this show with you. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it's a it's some amazing footage. And what's interesting, too, about that Mickey, and mm-hmm. correct me if I'm wrong, Jim, um, mm-hmm. because I know you will. That's where the footage from the Magical World of Disney opening, where Roger is seen kind of like being like there's a metal door that's kind of closing yeah. on him. You're Do you remember right. that? It was in the You're in right. the final moments of that opening, yeah. which also is where the first uh, the test of the cap system was that the Tinkerbell animation in that opening, by the way, which is very cool. But I think that, that that shot of the door closing on Roger is from that special, if I, I'm not mistaken. I believe you are correct. Okay. And like I said, folks, if you have some time to kill on YouTube, again, go there, check out Mickey's 60th birthday, and likewise, seek out Sports Goofy and Soccer Mania. But on the other hand, if you're, you're seeking out entertaining things... Well, I, I have a tease, actually, Jim. Ooh, ooh, okay. What? That we might be seeing Roger Rabbit again sooner than we thought. But not oh. in his own movie. That's all I'm gonna say. Oh. If that if that is a bombshell, that you you can just th- this this is what I'm hearing from people. Oh. So okay, yeah. you and I are gonna talk about this off air. Yes. Okay. <laughs> now, speaking of other entertaining things you can find online, seriously, folks, if you are not already listening to Light the Fuse, you are missing out on so many entertaining stories about the Mission Impossible film franchise. Now, I know you had some stuff that you really couldn't talk about just yet, but coming weeks, do we have... Um... Yeah, yeah, we're, we're, we're talking to Ben Rosenblatt, who is a producer on uh, Ghost Protocol as a kind of lead up to Ghost Protocol's 10th anniversary. Can you believe it, Jim? 10 Ooh, years wow. since uh, Brad Bird's live action debut. So and we've also, we all have also lined up the great Anthony Giacchino, who is Michael's now Academy Award winning brother and who produced a lot of the behind the scenes material for Ghost Protocol. So we suspect he will have some good, good stories from the totally crazy set of Ghost Protocol. So we're working on more guests to really celebrate the, this anniversary and uh, one of my favorite entries in the, the Mission Impossible franchise. So, so look forward to that in the in the weeks ahead. Wow. Okay. Well, on our side of the fence, we we have some some fun stuff coming up. Uh, in fact, I'm just doing a, a Len. God help us is on a cruise. So while he's out at sea, I'm going to be doing an episode of Disney Dish with his sister Chrissy. I would want to remind you, you're listening to Fine Tuning right now, and if you could do, Drew and I a favor. If you get our over to Apple Podcasts and rate and review uh, what you've just listened to here, uh, and by the way, maybe throw in a plug for uh, Light Diffuse, uh, that would be helpful. Uh, likewise, if you really, really, really like what you heard of today, if you want to head over to Bandcamp and subscribe, that would be fun. Beyond that, again, if you're not following Drew Taylor on social media, you, you are missing out on a lot of fun stuff. Can you, you tell folks how they can do that, Drew, uh, how they can find you? 
yeah, Drew Tailored like a tailored shirt on Twitter and Instagram. And yeah, I'm always going off about something, but <laughs> I, I promise that it's mostly in, in good fun. And you might even learn a thing or two, uh, always God forbid. Do. From, always do. Yeah. Uh, on our side of the street, though, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at, at Jim Hill Media and over on Facebook at Jim Hill Media News. That's, of course, if Facebook is still up and running. I guess that's going to do it for this week. So thanks for listening, folks. And... Drew and I will be back next week with a brand new show.